0: Our reading today comes from Galatians 3, verses 15 to 29. Brothers, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has already been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. The scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. What I mean is this, the law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on a promise. But God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. What then was the purpose of the law? It was added because of transgressions, until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was put into effect through angels by a mediator. A mediator, however, does not represent just one party, but God is one. Is the law, therefore, opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But the scripture declares that the whole world is a prisoner of sin, so that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. Before this faith came, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. You are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Let's ask for God's help as we begin to look at this passage. Thank you, Father, that sin and death has no hold over us. Thank you, Father, that there is no victory of death or sin. And we pray, Father, that you would help us as we look at this passage now to write that truth uh, truth on our hearts by your spirit. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Actually, I wonder if I could grab a Bible. That might help. <laughs> Thank you. It's always good to start with the, the Bible. Good. Okay. How do we know God is pleased with us? How do we know God is for us? Now, perhaps that's a question that surprises us. Uh, Surely God is pleased with all of us. Surely He's for anyone. But I'm guessing for the majority of us, that will be a question that perhaps haunts us. How do I know God is pleased with me? How do I know He's pleased with me today? And of course, that's a question, isn't it, that arises as our circumstances ebb and flow. Of course, when things are going well, it's easy to think, well, God loves me. He's pleased with me. But then the situation changes and we're asking ourselves the question, why is God angry with me? Or perhaps we look at our performance. We're having a good week. We get up with the alarm clock. We get our Bibles out. We don't shout at the kids. We have a good week at work and we think, well, God must be pleased with me this week. But then, of course, there's the bad week, where we hit the snooze button instead of the Bible, the kids get an earful, we're a terrible witness at work, and we think to ourselves, why would God be happy with this? See, it's a key question, isn't it? How do we know God is pleased with us? How do we know God is for us? Not just back in the past, but how do we know He's for us today, and tomorrow, and forever? See, that is the question that's driving the Galatian church to abandon the gospel and to embrace circumcision. I'm sure you don't need me to tell you that circumcision is not a happy process for a grown man, especially in the days before anesthetic. And so we've got to ask ourselves the question, why are they doing it? Well, the attraction is this, it offers assurance of God's love. It seems to offer assurance of God's favor. See, the thinking was that if I get circumcised, then I will become Jewish. And if I become Jewish, then I'm part of God's special chosen people. And of course, I know here at St. Mary's, we don't look to circumcision, thankfully. But the question for us this morning is, where do we look? Where do we look for that assurance that God is for us, that he loves us today? And we're going to see that There really are no two ways to bless. Promise is not equal to law. That God's blessing is only ever through promise. That God's blessing is never through law. And the fourth point has come off the screen and I can't remember it. There we are. God's blessing is received, not achieved. So, first of all, then, God's blessing, uh, there's no two ways to bless. Promise is not the same as law. What do I mean by that? Well, Paul answers this question how do I know God is for me? By saying, look to Abraham. Now, why does he go to Abraham? That's a strange place to start, isn't it? But Abraham was the very first person to be blessed by God after the fall of the world. And in fact, if you look at the early chapters of Genesis, it's very striking this. I've done it in a kind of diagram format here. But chapters one and two, obviously, are the high point. They're in Eden. God blesses uh, Adam and Eve, but then you have this big sweep down, um, I don't know if we've got the slide for that, David, um, in chapter 3, where Adam and Eve turn their back on God, and the chapters after that, they go up and down, but pretty much it gets worse and worse as we see God flood the earth, as we see Noah fail, as we see Babel built, it is curse, 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 But then, in chapter 12 of Genesis, there's a glimmer of light. Because here God blesses Abraham. And um, it's very striking when you read it. Have a look at uh, this in Genesis 12, verses 1 to 3. Uh, I think it's on the screen as well. Here's what God says. The Lord has said to Abraham... No idea if this exists, but probably does somewhere. Uh, If you had the Abraham card, well, there'd be some pretty high categories, wouldn't there? Uh, Number of cattle would do pretty well. Songs written about you. Uh, I think Father Abraham had many sons. Um, Yeah, do pretty well. But there'd be one thing that you'll always win on, and that is God's blessing. Because here is the first person to be blessed by God, and not only that, notice what it says, verse 3, that all the families on the earth will be blessed through him. But the question is why? Why does God bless Abraham? So It's an important question, isn't it? Because if we could figure out why God's favor rests on Abraham, well, then we can work out why it might rest on us. Well, have a look at verses 1 to 3 again and see if you can spot the why. I'll read it out to us Again the Lord had said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Can you spot the why? Well, if you're struggling, I'm afraid it was a trick question, because there is no why. See, God promises to bless Abraham because he decides to bless Abraham. God doesn't look at Abraham and think, well, here's a good character, here's a good specimen of a man. Uh, In fact, if you read on, you'll see that he's not that. He doesn't look at him and think, okay, I'll bless him. God doesn't look at Abraham's moral record and think, well, he's done enough good works. Okay, I'll bless him. See, God promises to bless him And in him, all the families on earth, because he promises to bless him, full stop. To put it another way, God's blessing comes through promise, not through achievement. Or to put it more precisely in Paul's language here, God's blessing comes through promise, not law. And as we look into this passage, you'll see Paul bring that contrast out between promise and law. But what about us? I mean, it's okay for Abraham, he was given a promise, but what about us today? Well, secondly, we see that God's promise is only ever through promise, uh, sorry, God's blessing is only ever through promise. It's all very well saying, isn't it, that God decided to bless Abraham because he decided to bless Abraham, but there's an awful lot of Bible since Genesis 12. And people were coming into the Galatian church and pointing out that very fact. See, you can imagine them saying, yes, God blessed Abraham. But actually, Abraham was followed by Moses. And if you want to be blessed, well, you need to listen to Moses as well as Abraham. And they would say, look at Moses, look at what he said. Here's um, some text from Deuteronomy. Moses says, for I command you today to love the Lord your God to walk in obedience with him, and to keep his commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live in increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you're entering to possess. So you can be forgiven for thinking, looking at that, can't you, that God's blessing has now been changed by the law. That actually was by promise for Abraham, but now it seems that it's coming through obedience to the commands, decrees, and laws. But Paul says, no, it's nothing of the sort. God's blessing, his favor, only ever comes through promise. And he explains that by getting us in verse 15 to take an everyday example. He says, verse 15, let me take an everyday um, example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that's been duly established. So it is in this case. See, here's the thing Paul says. When you reach an agreement, you can't just add to that agreement. You can't just undo that agreement because it's an agreement. Um, I've got here my um, last will and testament of Robert Gareth Phillips, and um, it details uh, what happens when I die. It tells in great detail of who it is that will inherit all my debts. (laughs) And it tells you where my children will be looked after, and if they die, where they would go next. Now, imagine if I was to get run over by a bus uh, straight after this meeting. This agreement comes into play. And you couldn't say, well, actually, I fancy taking a bit of debt and putting it somewhere else. You couldn't say, I know he said that about his children, but we're going to decide to uh, put them somewhere else. See, this is set in stone, isn't it? It's not something you can change. It's not something you can add to. It's not something you could ignore. And Paul's point is that God has done the same thing with his blessing. That when he promised to Abraham, it was as if he made a will. And he does not change. Yes, Moses follows Abraham, but that does not change the way that God blesses. Uh, He says in verse 17, what I mean is this. The law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. So uh, the Galatians are kind of representing things like the top diagram there, that actually it started with promise and now law's been added to us. And if we're to get blessed, well, we need to follow the law. But in fact, Paul says, no, it has always been promise, it always will be promise and the law is separate from that. See, because God promised to bless the world, if we're looking for God's blessing, His favor, whether it be today, tomorrow, or forever, it is never coming out from the law. It is always through His promise. Let me say that again. It is never through our keeping of the law. It is always through His promise. I wonder if you see that. It's easy, isn't it, to have a kind of head teacher view of God. Now, I'm not dissing head teachers. Head teachers are very important. But there were only two occasions I went to my head teacher's office one when I did well in exams, and more often when I broke the school rules. And we can so often think that God blesses us like the head teacher. When we're doing well, well, we get his favor. When we break the rules, well, he's angry with us. But here's the thing Paul says God's blessing never comes through law. It only comes through promise. But is that true? I mean, what about all those bits of the Bible that talk about doing stuff, following the rules? What about the Ten Commandments, we might ask? Well, thirdly, uh, Paul goes on to address that, because it's the obvious question, isn't it? By showing us that God's blessing is never through law. See, verse 19, I love it when this happens, that the Bible asks the very question you're asking, or I was asking at least, in verse 19. What then is the purpose of the law? You know, if the law is not the way to God's blessing, what was the point of having it at all? Well, Paul answers that again by giving us another picture or illustration of verse 23. He says this, Before faith came, we were held prisoners by the law. Locked up until faith should be received, revealed. I don't know if you watch those um, police documentaries where they follow um, the police around in the back of the car with a camera and um, just observe what happens. I used to be absolutely addicted to those, uh, partly because most of it was filmed in my hometown and I got to see my school friends from years ago. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I kid you not, uh, believe um, But one of the things you notice in those documentaries is that when people get arrested, they go back to the station, but they have to go through this process of meeting the custody sergeant. Now, the custody sergeant sits on this big desk, they've got the computer there, and the officer stands in front of them and the um, arrested person stands in front of them and they take all their details. And it's quite interesting because the custody sergeant has to hear what the justification is for the person to be put in the cells. And actually, you know, they want to do things rightly as a kind of check against um, uh, that they've been arrested for the right thing. But the thing is, that person only stays there for a certain time, and they have to have justification for being there. See, the cells at the station are not a kind of prison. They're not somewhere that you can stay indefinitely, but rather they're somewhere to be held before you either get released or face charge and Paul uses that kind of image to say the law locks us up a bit like a custody sergeant to say actually it's not about something that was going to change everything forever but it's showing us why we need Christ why we it shows us that the only way to be blessed is through him how does that work? Well, I don't know if you have those moments um, where you catch yourself in the mirror, you get up in the morning, you think yourself uh, to be pretty presentable. Oh, goodness. Uh, and then you look in the mirror and you realize your hair's up or you've got something on your face. Well, the law acted like a mirror. See, the law was a declaration of God's character, his holiness. And so as Israel looked at the law, it showed them what they were really like. The point of the law was never a ladder to climb and celebrate my moral achievements. It was a mirror to expose what my state really is. And as we look at the law, Paul says, we should see that God's blessing could never come from us and our effort to keep what God says. A lot, of Bible, a lot of people see the Bible a bit like a rule book, that um, if I read this, if I do it, then life will work out pretty well. If I keep the commandments, then I'll be blessed. But I wonder if we think that, whether we've actually read the law properly, because if we read the law, well, it doesn't prop us up, it condemns us. It shows us that we need something else to find God's blessing. And fourthly and finally, we see that God's blessing really doesn't come through us. It is received, not achieved. See, it is not law, but promise. And in verse 29, we see how that promise comes from Abraham to us. Verse 29, he says this, If you belong to Christ, then you're Abraham's seed, you're his children, and heirs according to to the promise see here's Paul's point the promise to Abraham to bless the world has now been fulfilled in Jesus and now because of Jesus we are blessed along with Abraham full stop by promise see as Jesus died and hung on the cross as he declared with those wonderful words, it is finished. He did everything necessary to bring God's blessing to the world. That's why he says in verse 28, this wonderful verse, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. The the point being there's not a two-tier system, there's not one way to get promise, and another way, it is all through faith in what Christ has achieved for us already. And so God's blessing comes to us, not through our achieving, but our receiving. See, God's blessing comes to us, not by listening to the law and trying to work up our moral achievements, but receiving with empty hands by faith, what Christ has already done for us. And the Christian life, therefore, is not a kind of display in the Museum of Human Achievement. It is about being a patient in the hospital for sinners, dependent always on the life-saving mercy of Jesus. So coming back to that question we asked at the beginning, how do I know God is for me today? How do I know his favor is upon me today. How do I know He's not going to change His mind tomorrow when I have the bad week or the good week? Well, it is not because of our circumstances. It is not because of our performance. But it is because of one thing. His promise. achieved for us in the death of His Son. I say, so, therefore, all that um, is left for us to do is to receive by faith. Not look at our works, not uh, put ourselves under the law, but trust God at his word. Let's pray. We thank you, our Heavenly Father, for your great promise to bless the world through Abraham and ultimately through Christ, his offspring. And so we pray, our Father, that you would write that truth on our hearts, Please, Father, help us not to lean on our own performance, but on your mercy alone. In Jesus' name, amen.
2: So now we're going to have our Q&A. So where are you, Rob? Hiding. Hiding. Oh, you can't hide. Not someone of your height. right? (laughs) Um, So so we've got some great questions. Thank you for your questions. You can still put them in. It's live. You can still vote them up uh, now as we're at the front. So... um, so, some great questions. Let's start with, um, if God's blessing is all through the promise and not through the law, why are the first books of the Old Testament filled with so much about the law? Why is there so much of the Bible about the law?
1: Uh, thank you for that question. Excellent question. Um, so, don't hear me wrong. The law was not a, a kind of false start. It wasn't plan A and God switched to plan B or plan C. Um, it wasn't a kind of try out a different route. Um, it was always part of God's plan and part of his intention. Um, the reason I think Paul says it is, uh, in verse 19, it was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. So, as I say, it's a bit like the custody officer. It was always towards Jesus and always preparing us uh, for him. So I think it's absolutely appropriate that the law contains every sort of detail because it's exposing all the different angles of our hearts so that we'd be ready when Jesus came. Um, If Jesus came at Genesis 4, I don't think we'd understand why we needed him and why he has to be the only route. By reading the law, by reflecting on it, um, we see why he's good news.
2: Great. Thank you. Um, so, oh, I've just lost the question. You've that's moved all right. It right. gives up. me thinking time. Um, Yeah, why, there's a question about, why do we follow sources? It? It's gone to the top, that's why you're following oh, right. me. Um, oh, <laughs> if the law um, locked us up, but we're no longer locked up because of Christ, then why do we still follow some of the commandments, some of the Ten Commandments?
1: Um, yeah, thank you. <laughs> Uh, the reason I'm hesitating, this is like been a question for two thousand years, um, and I'm trying to sort of do it in twenty seconds. Um, so, uh, yes, a really good question. Um, it depends why we're trying to follow the commandments. What do we mean by follow the commandments? So, if we mean by that, God's given the ten commandments. If I do them, then He'll be pleasing me. If I fail with them, He won't be. I don't think you're under the Ten Commandments. Paul says you're not under law, in that sense. Um, so you can read the Ten Commandments, and I think you don't ignore them. I'll get to that in a moment. But I do think we, we 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 feel condemned. Satan accuses us, and when we get to Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, you know, heightens the sense in which that law applies. That you know, if you've looked lustfully at someone, you've committed adultery in your heart. Um, but then. We look to Christ. So, yeah, I'm not saying ignore the commandments. Absolutely not. But they have got a point into Christ's role rather than a kind of end point in ourselves. Um, that said, I think we are to read the law back through Christ and in some ways see how we might love God and love one another. But rather than confuse things, I'm going to say come back for chapter 5. Okay. Thanks. That's, that's like a is back. that a cop-out? Yeah, yeah, no, that's not a cop-out. That's good.
2: Come back. <laughs> chapter 5. Um, and um, it, another question is, great question is, how do we ensure we don't try to live by the law?
1: I think um, there's a great book in the Bible uh, to, to think about this. Um, it's called Galatians. And um, it'd be great <laughs> to, to reflect on that. Um, I know I'm being cheeky, but, yeah, partly it is books like this that help drive into us where the weak spots are so and there's different scenarios you've got the kind of flat out false teachers who paul says just want to kind of make a good showing they just want to get converts and make their numbers big uh, you've got peter who has a stumble um uh, because of kind of pressures peer pressure basically and you have this church who um feel like they've been caught up in the middle um he says i'm in the pains of childbirth for you so they've kind of got they've got sidetracked um And I think it's just really helpful to spot, actually, there'd be all sorts of motives. Uh, Some of us may be flat out wanting to deny Jesus. I doubt that's the case with most of us. But a lot of us, I guess, I like the Galatian church, so we just drift and we just forget that God loves us, not on the basis of what we bring to him, but what he does for us. I need that. I was praying that through this morning from my own heart. Um, You know, as I say, when you have had a bad week. You kind of think, oh, goodness. Why would God be pleased with me? Um, but actually, um, yeah, I think we need to keep coming back to that. I don't think I've answered the question. Um, why, uh, how do we assure that we don't live by the law? Um, I think just ask yourself what the law is doing when you're reading it. If you're feeling puffed up, if you're feeling like this is something I've got to pull my socks up and do, um, we're not reading it right. If we're reading it thinking, wow, Jesus is a great saviour because he fulfilled this, on my behalf and he's done everything necessary uh, for me to be accepted by God, that's the right way to read it.
2: Great, two more. Okay. Okay. Um, all, if it's all through blessing, why do we bother trying to live God's law then?
1: Um, or I, could, I think I, that means all through promise, is that right?
2: I think so, or can we, um, am I allowed to add my English Yeah, go on, go on, go on. Or, yeah, gives d- me I don't know time. if this is the question, but, but like, why does it matter how we live?
1: OSC, right. Yes, yes, absolutely. Really helpful. Um, yeah, so I don't think we're to live God's law in the sense, okay, sorry, I'm repeating myself, but I need to be told myself, in the sense of um, God started with blessing us, now we need to do our bit or anything like that. Um, why try to live God's law? Well, I don't think we just pick it up in a kind of black and white way and read it and then just do it. Um, I can say more about this when we get to chapter five, but We are meant to read it through Christ. So Christ says in the Sermon on the Mount, I've not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And by fulfilling, I think he means um, not closing it off, but showing us how it points to him and his character. So the law in the Old Testament, in summary form, is love God, love your neighbor. And Jesus shows us the best possible example uh, of what that looks like. Um, Why live in... why why kind of, you know, why does it matter what you do? Well, actually seeing what Christ has done for us should make us want to love him, and seeing the way he loves other people is wonderful, isn't it, and should make us want to love other people. We will never do that perfectly, we will always fail, but um, just like, you know, without embarrassing my wife, um, I don't need a law to tell me to be nice to her, Um, I kind of want to do that because You know, we're married. Sorry, don't I don't want to make it all cheesy. Don't look at her. Um (laughs) But you see the point. Christ has brought done all this for us, he's joined himself to us. So why would we not want to um, at least love him and love our neighbour, which we will fail out?
2: Thanks. Last one. Is God ever disappointed in us? And how would we know if he is? Which is really too well done, sneaky.
1: Um I loved the fact Karen prayed Romans 8, 1. There is now no condemnation in Christ. Um, God looks on us and he sees the perfection of his son. So he never looks at us and thinks, you know, I've told him 50 times not to do that and now they're doing it. Um, Because he sees us and he sees his son. Um, Yes, that doesn't mean kind of anything goes and... um, you know, it doesn't matter what we do. Paul talks about grieving the Holy Spirit. He talks about, and we get back to his chapter 5. Big cop out, chapter 5. Uh, but he talks about the right way to be, the right things to, to do. But actually, we must, first and foremost, get into our hearts that actually, in Christ, uh, we are completely, um, God is completely pleased in us. Um, I love this verse from Hebrews, chapter 2. It's what I come back to. Um uh uh, that Christ has made all people holy so that he is not ashamed to call them brothers. Um, I love that phrase because, you know, it, it, it talks about Jesus not being ashamed to call us brothers, uh, which is a wonderful verse, isn't it? Because I look at my life and I think, well, there's all sorts of ways. I'm not only ashamed, but also I think if Jesus saw me, he would be ashamed, but actually he's done everything necessary so that there is no shame um, before him.
2: Thanks, thank you. Thanks for being chapter willing. five, come back. Yes, <laughs> let's just pray for whoever's doing chapter five, <laughs> yes. if it's not you. But, um, no.